listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Speaking. Welcome to episode number 52 of Love That Album podcast. I'm very grateful for you joining me, uh, and um, I'm also very grateful for the presence of two wonderful fellow music nuts. First of all, from Ontario. It is Ontario, isn't it? Ontario. I'm terrible. No, yeah. <laughs> not Ontario. Uh, excuse me, you've got to wait till you're introduced. Uh, Ontario, uh, I have the convener, the starter of the Feed My Ears Facebook page, Mr. John Ross. Welcome back to the podcast, John. Hey, how's it going, Morris? It's, it's going wonderful. Uh, it's uh, wonderful Good. to have you back. And uh, you've given me a challenge this time around, John Ross. <laughs> uh, but we'll, yes, talk, we'll uh... talk about that in a minute or two. And it's, it's a strange thing because the person... Uh, the the other Canadian who's uh, in Seoul, uh, he's been on the show numerous times, but I think this is only your second show talking about specific albums. It's usually been for shooting the shit, I think. Mr. Tim Merrill, welcome back to Love That Album. Hey, hey, it's always a pleasure, Morris. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, Although, mind you, I guess I'm... I'd forgotten the episode that you did with um, with our good friend Eric Reanimator, the uh, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Punk. So, yeah, can't take that. Right. Either. No, it was a, that was a fun one too, but it's always blessed, you know, being able to come on here. I mean, I always consider every episode of just being able to talk about music, you know, shooting the shit. And just, you know, well, we, we love what we love. And... What do you reckon? Maybe you should change the name of the podcast to Shooting the Shit. <laughs> I think that that works. That works. Uh, so, and, and I'm going to try and get in now because I'm always forgetting till the end of the segment or the start of the next segment. I'm going to remember this now because I've made a note. Eric Reanimator, our good friend and uh, compadre, is going to be uh, doing his uh, album I love segment. Although, as he professes, it's more this time around a band he loves rather. Than, he couldn't pick a specific album. He's talking about a band from Seattle called Sky Cries Mary, and he uh, he's trying to sort of fit this in with the theme of this show. And I guess we should talk a little bit about. Um, what it is that we're going to be covering in this episode. Now, John, you said to me in a, in a Facebook message, Morris, I think you're a little bit too comfortable with this uh, Americana rootsy shit. Um, so, <laughs> you're I, paraphrasing, I, of I'm course. Para- I'm paraphrasing, of course, yes. Um, <laughs> because as I think it was the first time you came on the show, you introduced me to some rootsy Americana shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is not my forte either. But, uh... <laughs> but, um, but no, this time round, you went and suggested to me, uh, I want to get you a little bit uncomfortable and listen to an album from a style that you're not necessarily that au fait with. And you suggested uh, Mezzanine by Massive Attack. And I thought, right, well, if we're going to do that, we're going to do these pairings of what would be the second one and the obvious one to me, even though it wasn't an album that I was, like I'd listened to hundreds of times, but I was a little bit familiar with it, was uh, uh, Dummy by Portishead. So... The bands are, uh, you know, related. They're from the same period. They've both got this nominal 
uh, umbrella of trip hop, although I know that Tim, you have some thoughts about that label, and we can we can get to that. So um, yes, in case you haven't, uh, in case you just downloaded this by subscription, you haven't looked at your iPod. Uh, we are covering Dummy by Portishead and Mezzanine by Massive Attack. So um, we'll be uh, talking a lot about that over the uh, uh, next period of the show, however long that's going to be. Uh, I can correct you there a bit. Okay, go, go for on. it. Go for it. You uh, actually, I forget how the conversation came up, but uh, we were talking and you said uh, something about, it may surprise you that I've listened to some Portishead and kind of like it. And I said, oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> and uh, that's how we started talking about doing it and we picked to pick an album to pair it with oh I really hang on did we come are you sure i really thought we that... came around from the portishead end first i believe okay, okay. but well, then i picked mezzanine and we agreed and then i was thinking i should have picked <laughs> their first album massive attacks first album blue lines, blue lines yeah. that, because now, correct, now correct that's me if much I'm wrong. more in line with dummy well correct, mezzanine. correct well correct me if i'm wrong did did you come back with a message to me saying, "Man, I'm feeling guilty. I shouldn't have thrown you in the I, deep end." Well, after listening, you know, after <laughs> I shouldn't, I just, um, I of course know Mezzanine very well, but for some reason I wasn't. It's a, a much different album than their first album, and their their even their oh, second yeah. to an extent their second album. Their first album comes from a much more jazzy R and B kind of place right. and less of the layered electronic we'll get into it when we, we talk will. about the album but it's a i think it would be a bit more in your comfort zone initially but good we all should challenge ourselves well i and everyone let me let me assure you this is definitely a challenge <laughs> i never thought when i started um love that album that i'd be saying hey welcome to love that album and we're going to be talking about an album by massive attack but um but no certainly it is a good thing and i think part of the format of, um, that I'm wanting to go ahead with the show will be a little bit more about not necessarily picking albums that I've been loving for a long time and wanting to get things like this thrown at me and then you know I, I can let it out gee I really dug this album or gee this album sucked and over the course of the hour and a half two hours whatever it's going to be uh, I'll be making that known of course unless you've been reading my Facebook messages in case which case you probably already know. Uh, but, uh, you shouldn't feel too bad, John. I mean, at least you didn't throw a Yoko Ono record at him. Hey, <laughs> nothing wrong with a little hey, bit man, of Hey, man, I could defend these albums, no problem. Uh, yeah. there's, yeah, you know, you're, 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 you're skating on thin ice. Or hang, what, what was that, running on thin ice? Well, uh, I mm-hmm. don't yeah, anyway. All right, so look, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a, uh, a break, uh, play a, a promo, and then we'll come back. Which album should we do first, gentlemen? Um, I would do. We don't want to do them chronologically. Go dummy first, and All then right. uh, mezzanine. Sure. All right, that's what we'll sure. do. All right, we'll go to a quick break. We'll come back and talk about Dummy by Portishead. You're listening to Love That Album with John and Tim and Morris. We'll be back shortly. <laughs> This is the ghost of the King of Comics, Jack Kirby. When I'm not haunting Stan Lee, I'm listening to my favorite comic book podcast, Double Page Spread. Each week, Wendy Freeman talks to creators like Cullen Bunn, Mark Wade, Evan Dorkin, and more. She is one cool dame who knows a lot about comics. So when I'm at my drawn board in heaven cranking out fourth world pages, I'm listening to Double Page Spread. Available on iTunes, 
Libsyn, and the Stitcher Network. We're back from break. Morris here, John there, Tim somewhere different but also there. And uh, you're listening to episode number 52 of the Love That Album podcast. So glad you could join us. And we're talking Dummy by Portishead, Mezzanine by Massive Attack later on in the show. But uh, before we start out our conversation about uh, the album Dummy, Tim has uh, quite sensibly suggested that we talk a little bit about trip-hop as a genre and what that actually means. So um, given that you guys are far more familiar with it than than I am. I'll let you guys uh, sort of start into that. I'll let Tim start. He sounds like he's got All something right. to say. Well, first, I was, I was just going to say, you know, the one thing that kind of always strikes me is this thing about labels where a lot of labels usually come up courtesy of journalists, you know, and um, I was just recently reading something that struck me funny about Frank Zappa, where when Zappa came out with the Mothers of Invention, some journalist had labeled his music acid rock, and Zappa had said, well, now I'm going to have to go back and uh, retract all those albums that I, uh, I went and sold because we didn't put acid in any of the album sleeves and people wouldn't be able to appreciate any of the music because they didn't have any acid to take with it. So now we're going to have to take all those records back and put acid in there because it's acid rock. And I didn't know, you know. So, I mean, like, the whole thing is, like, with it was journalists that came up with the, the term trip hop. Oh yeah, and I, yeah, it was of, it, uh, a DJ Shadow album, actually, right. not even in the, right. the in the British sense. Right, right, right. And I think, but the thing is, is that you know, also like a lot of scenes are based out of out of cities. I mean, like for example, like with you know the Hacienda Club, you know, with you know Manchester yeah. and you know Stone Roses and the Mondays and all that. But with trip hop, it all came out of Bristol. Well, Bristol was kind of like the center. Of it, I mean the uh, epicenter, so to speak. It and I sure think was. A lot of a lot of the ideas of of music in England, more than anywhere else, um, specifically, especially the West, was England was more of a warehouse uh, club scene. You know, it was really more of a of a DJ scene that was really going on all throughout England, and, and the idea also too of of multiculturalism and the idea of of a lot of poverty and a lot of, you know, uh, people scraping the old bins, you know, going down to the thrift shops and, and pulling what they could. And also the influence of, you know, uh, Trinidad and, and the Caribbean and the Jamaican uh, dance hall, like all the dub reggae, all that stuff. You know, whereas uh, a lot of these major cities in England were made up largely, a lot, there was a large immigrant population, third or second generation. And the kids all came up through that, you know, playing their father's records or their older brother's records, you know, and um, and then also hip -hop too, there was started the, coming in. Uh, hip hop started coming in, but I think uh, hip hop was the current, and the current blended with that of the past, you know. And yep. I think, uh, and I think that BBC Radio had a lot to do with it too, because there was guys like John Peel mm. that would play all kinds of like variations of everything. And, you know, like, I mean, they, and, and a lot of younger people really got schooled on jazz and they got schooled on stuff like Shirley Bassey and they got schooled on a lot of the 60s instrumental stuff and like Telstar, you know, and they got, uh, uh, what was it, uh, uh, Meeks, uh, Joe Meeks? Yep, Joe Meek. Yeah, yeah, Joe Meek, you know, like, I mean, his production and all that, I mean, 
you know, there there was a um, what I'm trying to say is that you know there was that urban the modern urban influence of hip hop and that that was kind of starting to blend with a lot of things that they you know, that the younger generation started noticing in in the albums that they like I said they picked up in thrift shops and they started listening to radio and and stuff from the past and it all started blending because you know uh, I think that right before trip hop actually there was Acid House. That was yeah. a big thing that came up in England too. And Acid House was Go ahead, John. And dub. Like mm-hmm. it, yeah, oh, yeah. It all it's an evolution. It's a path for sure. And was it's it, a was hodgepodge. There a, was there a band under that sort of acid jazz sort of thing? Was it Mother Earth or something like that? I seem to recall a band uh, Mother Earth or something Earth that I thought well, was, there was a, There was a lot of different uh, uh I'm trying to think of the name uh Oh, I'm trying to think of that song now that sounded almost like Herb Alpert with the horns. Um, oh, now it's gonna it's gonna drive me nuts now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna know the answer right after the show, and I'll be like, damn it. Um, yeah, there was an acid jazz too. There was an acid jazz movement as well that was almost like uh, it, it was almost closer to like the stuff you would hear in a dentist's office, you know, or like that seventies <laughs> like. Like seventy seventies contemporary, like like Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, that was kind of like, yeah, no, but no, but more more like more Latin or more laid back. It wasn't that you know like little Spanish flea, but it was more uh, w- with remixes and, and DJ scratch and kind of stuff. Bossa, right, right, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some uh, yeah. some girl from Ipanema come sneaking right. in there. Exactly, exactly, that kind of Which thing. Which, I, you know what? I might have listened. I've become obsessed with that tune this year for some reason, the original. Right. Uh, I listen to it all the freaking time. <laughs> I, I don't a, know what it is. There was a when lot of stuff. Or comes in there singing her verse, it just right. gets, it makes me tingle. <laughs> right. Anyway, sorry. Oh, it's okay. There was a lot of, lot of stuff that came out of that time that really, it, you know, like there was, you know, the thing that really kind of bothers me about the label of trip hop is this idea that uh, it can all be, it's kind of like, like punk. It's like, you know, for sure. example, like at the time, Blondie was considered punk. Yeah, yeah. You know, Patti Smith was considered punk and on the Ramones and the Dead Boys. Well, the Ramones and the Dead Boys are closer together, but when you look at Blondie and Patti Smith, it's like day and night, right? Mm-hmm. But they're all... Yeah under that same label and i mean sure. you know like there, there was bands in the 90s that were considered trip-hop like curve and there was you know like uh, for example like the herbalizer and cold cut and there was a lot of oh, different sure sure and, and a lot of trip-hop got uh, you know a lot of people um took any band with a female singer and some jazzy undertones as being right. trip-hop that became synonymous right. with the genre exactly. as well but even yeah, even, even in labels, jazz, I mean, yeah. But even in even in jazz, I mean, you know, Ornette Coleman and Spyro Gyro would be, uh, you know, as, as poles removed, you know, as you could possibly get. Um, and I, I see what you're saying, Tim, about uh, you know, whatever you know, journalistic intent and wanting to put labels on things. And I know this thing about uh, artists not wanting to be stuck uh, under a particular umbrella. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I still think that as someone who 
wants to get an idea of uh, yeah a ballpark sort of idea. You, know, you say, oh man, there's this great artist that you got to listen to. I say, oh, stylistically, where are they? And if you you go and say, right, well, it's it's like um, you know, it, it's a it's a folky sort of singer. It might not. Is it, you know, a, is it animal, mineral, or vegetable? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah I, I know. It's... Uh, what, what was it that Lewis? He, he once told me about that Lewis Armstrong quote. You know, I mean, uh, right. of course, I I I, I sing folk music i never ever heard no cow sing no music or something like that right right um, right, right but but i know it's not going to be necessarily thrash metal we, we which mm-hmm. and even within there i'm sure which that there's you different should be lucky um, i didn't challenge you with some thrash metal i still have some right to veto you know that don't you <laughs> i understand i understand that you know i understand people need to frame a reference or something to base something right. on you know or something i understand that but i think the problem is too is that with a lot of labels you know journal a lot of journalists wind up working as pr guys for labels later on right. you know in journal you know like a lot of rock journalism is just basically entry level into the industry right you know and, and what happens is that a lot of these guys they they, they come up with these labels to kind of, you know, uh, it's a hamburger, it's a new hamburger, or it's a steak, or it's this, or it's that. It's like they, they come up with a thing that you can say, oh, well, I like hamburgers, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll eat that. You know, it's like, it, it's just it's just something, like, a, they put it in a bite-sized little nugget that you can kind of, you know, easily swallow, right? They, they just kind of, you know, they dress it up with a, with a ribbon and say, this is what it is, you know, when actually half the time, Anybody who really has an ear and appreciates music will listen to a lot of these things and go, that guy didn't even know what the fuck he was talking about. I mean, like, this is nothing like that label, or, or this is so much more than, you know, like, that label just completely insults the music. I mean, it's like, you know, there's so much more here, and that label just completely undermines it, you know? Right. right. Well, of course, but, I mean, this uh, is nothing, you know? I think we're going to see with the two albums picked that you, at the the genre label can be like you said uh it doesn't exactly describe you could th- people are throwing a lot of things under th- these two bands came from the same area and the same origins uh right. and they said these two albums sound they have a lot of stylistic similarities but they're as different as they are alike right right and that's uh, definitely true so yeah i mean for the sake of brevity we should you know well, what, what we might do, because we've had this like little prelude, I might actually go to one more break so we can give the full <laughs> half of how to to each yeah. to each album. Uh, okay, so we'll go back to another another break and you know, play play a second promo. Who knows? And uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll come back and discuss uh, "Dummy" by Portishead. We'll be back shortly. All time top ten, top ten cheesy love songs. This song showcases everything. That is awesome about Journey. Bombastic, tailor-made for the arena. Everyone's got their lighter out. Steve Perry has got his beautiful mane of hair, and he's singing about being on the road. Top 10 rock trios. Dinosaur Jr., Jay Maskus, and Lou Barlow, and drummer Murph. The loudest band I've ever seen. Top 10 songs about the devil. My number eight is not the greatest song in the world. (laughs) <laughs> it's just a tribute. Um, this is Tenacious G. Top 10 
Top 10 breakup songs. What's your number four? I got to do um, the replacements answering machine. Nice. Not only is it about the distance, he's using the distance as a metaphor, you know, sort of like where it's like the, the relationship's gotten to a point where he's trying to connect with somebody and the extent of the communication is leaving a message on your machine. Top 10 rock wordsmiths. Randy Newman. In a lot of his songs, he plays like a narrator, but the narrator in these songs tells stories, but the narrator doesn't always tell the truth or he has kind of a skewed version of the story he's telling. That's a human foible. That's what we tend to do. Top 10 sports anthems. Little ditty called Jump Around. Yes, no, easily I, like twenty to 30,000 students jumping up and down at the same time. It is awesome. Number 10. With your host, Ben Eisen. All-time top 10. And we're back from break again. Morris, John and Tim. And we're going to be talking about Dummy by Portishead. And off air, I went and made a crack, which I should have saved because then they'd laugh. But uh, I was wondering whether Portishead were Don Rickles fans by any chance. (laughs) 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 Well, well, at least the album wasn't named Hockey Puck, so I mean... (laughs) 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 All right, so anyway, here we are. We're going to uh, finally talk about um, uh, Dummy by Portishead. Now, uh, as you mentioned, John, we sort of got into this discussion and, uh, and well, I, I really thought it was the other way around that Mezzanine was chosen first. But anyway, this was this is uh, the companion piece uh, for uh, the Mezzanine be, album. You know, you might be right. I, uh, I could I might be crazy. Here, but regardless. Um, <laughs> so I'd had... Uh, I'd had some familiarity with the album. I'd heard, I mean, I'd heard the whole album a couple of times before. And really, to be honest with you, like during the 90s, uh, one of our local stations, 3RRR, had thrashed uh, Mysterion's Sour Times and Glory Box to death. So, you know, even even myself, who wasn't necessarily following that as a genre, while I was listening to a whole lot of albums with guys whose names started with Blind Boy, uh, even I was aware of of, uh, of these these tunes. Uh, so look, before we sort of go into dis- discussing uh, the album, I mean we've already, you know, Tim's already sort of gone and uh, discussed uh, you know, what came, what led to what led to these sounds, and uh, our thoughts about you know labeling and all that sort of thing. But I'd like to ask you, John, uh, because you've, you've become, uh, you, you've said yourself that, you know, years ago you were like a big uh, metal guy. So what, yeah. where was it? You've already gone and said something that, uh, that this is something that really turned you on. What was the first thing that you thought uh, when, when uh, you first heard Portishead all those years ago? Yeah, the, this album um, changed everything for me musically. It was one of those uh, watershed moments. Uh, um, I was... Uh, well, they first, actually, I didn't start listening to them until 98, 99, I would say. Uh, I, their initial go-around, you know, um, with Mysterions and Sour Times and all that, they hit, those singles hit our shores as well. But they were regu- uh, relegated to, like, the dance. You know, our, our much music had, like, okay. a dance show and stuff. And it, it was on before the power hour or whatever because yeah i was a metal guy (laughs) i I was a metal guy via way of classic rock through my day you know i listened to the beatles you know 60s and 70s classic rock bands too but i I had long hair and i like heavy metal for the most part and you'd always catch the end of uh like uh mysteria or what was the first single oh sour times would be on 
and I'd hear that that little guitar strumming, and I'd be like, "Oh, that sounds like some old spy thing. I hate this. Whatever." And little to know that they were actually sampling a Lalo a Lalo Schrethren like soundtrack from the seventies. All right. Uh, so I was pretty bang on of See, what the, it was. The, the first thing I thought of was at the time was um uh, the Third Man because it had you know that zither right melody, yeah that zither sound. So I think I said to uh, Morris, I said, you know, the first time I had heard uh, this album, it totally reminded me of like Shirley Bassey stoned. Oh, <laughs> very good. So I, I didn't like the, you know, I was like, whatever. I never get paid attention to it. Um, then a few years later, I was living by myself and uh, I was looking for a cassette to record. I was, this was, we're still in the cassette. I, you know, CDs and cassettes. I you'd make your mixes on cassettes yes and i those cassettes to work and i needed i would i would make tons of cassettes you know all week long i'd make a, a new cassette for tonight's shift at work or whatever and i cassettes actually became like a prized possession you know can i record on this i grabbed one of my sister's cassettes and asked her if i could record yeah. on it she said sure and i brought it to work and filled it up but i i didn't get the end the end you know the, uh, you tape over layers there's layers right yeah, yeah. of tape uh, at the end of my last track it went into um, glory box that was still left over from my sister's tape okay. and some friend my sister didn't even listen to Portis Ed she didn't even know what it was it was one of her friends who was a horrible person but had great <laughs> taste in music yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and she put it on there and uh, I started listening to it and I was like this is really I'm, I'm kind of really digging this chick's voice uh I'm a big sucker for a nice voice, and I'm like, this is a Portishead band. So, a friend at work, um, Jeff Steers, actually, the guy who got me into Ray Willie Hubbard. Ah, nice. Had the album, Dummy. He's like, oh, you'll love it. You should listen to it. So he brought it in for me. I brought it home and uh, put it on. And he's and uh, I may have had some uh, green involved. Smoke something, maybe. <laughs> Put it on, cranked it up, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It it changed everything. It expanded uh, from then on. You know, I wanted, I had to find anything else in this. But by this point, trip hop had already been established as a genre, or or for what it's worth. And I wanted to find more examples of it, and it spread out from there. But it brought opened me up to electronic music. It opened me up to DJ. Uh, eventually, with um, you know expanding, I got into more hip hop. Uh, it just it just umbrellaed my love for music. It, it was a jumping off point to different genres for me, and it was all this was a gateway album for me. So, um, Glory Box ended up being um, one of two wedding songs I had with my wife. It was our first dance. Oh wow, uh, that's that's yeah. Yeah, well, and we have Willie Deville uh, storybook love for our main one, <laughs> but nice. you know, so we had the sweet and the and the sexy there going. Uh, so yeah, it was a big album for me, and it's only my esteem for it's only grown over the years. Uh, but Beth Gibbons' voice, I mean, cannot be understated. I was what definitely going to go down have. I was going to go down that path. Um, yeah, look, she. Uh, I, 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 it just sort of occurred to me. I was thinking that she sort of sounds. I know that they've sort of they've, there's been uh, it's been noted somewhere that she cited someone like Nina Simone as an influence, and certainly from. I mean, I mean, 
I, I think uh, Beth's uh, uh, not quite a not quite a soprano, but maybe, uh, but certainly more than an alto, maybe a contralto or something. She's like a that. Con- she's a contralto, right? Uh, and, as a and, soprano, and and Nina Simone would be. Um, uh, well, I don't know, she'd be already dipping into the male sort of tenor area or something like that, or, you know, considerably deeper. But in terms, in terms of um, uh, Tombra, I think I can definitely see that some sort of similarity. But I, I sort of tended to think that there was a mixture of uh, Tori Amos and Natalie Merchant. Um, and even today, like, really, I, I finally got round to watching that uh, Roseland show that was on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And there were moments in there that made me think of Billie Holiday. There was like moments where it sort of had that childlike uh, tone to her voice on certain songs. And I thought, yeah, there's some Billie Holiday in there as well. Uh, yeah, I always got a Billie Holiday. I always got a Nina Simone, and I always got a Shirley Bassey too. Well, without the, you know, without the Shirley Bassey exuberance. Yes. But got that. That. Yeah, you're completely right. Those are, those are three ladies I always think of when I think of Beth, and she's her own creation too like she doesn't talk to the press she's very mysterious uh but it doesn't seem to be like she's very shy uh she smokes like a like a chimney and i'm just like oh that that gift i mean it's all it fits totally with you know the whole image or i know i'm sure she doesn't smoke for the image but well, but you know that's actually something I wanted to bring up. I reckon she does smoke. But I mean, I'm not saying she smokes to do the image, but she probably thought, you know what, I can work this into the act. Yeah, it's totally. the, the way the way she stands around the microphone and the way she has that cigarette in her hand, and it's it's almost like, well, they expect it. You're allowed to go out and have a cigarette. You know, they show the backstage thing and all the rest are having a smoke after the show, but she's allowed to do it during the show because that's that's part of who she is. That's part of the act. I you know what's say, funny. I, so yeah, Tim. Uh, I was gonna say that you know, with this album, and with any album, you know, like there's those times when you you kind of are introduced to an album, and it's either at an awkward moment or at the perfect moment. You know, like there, there's. I had both you know, with this album. Yeah. It was the awkward well, moment at first, and then the perfect moment later. Right. Anyways, so, well. My my experience with Dummy was kind of uh, the perfect moment. And this this might sound a little horrific to you, but uh, the first time I'd actually heard uh, Mysterions and I heard the whole album was uh, I was actually standing in a shower getting squeaky clean with somebody. Oh. And <laughs> well, you're among friends, that's okay. Uh, well, it's, Tim, this album was voted in the 50th anniversary of Playboy as the best album to shag to of all time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This was uh, so, this was perfect moment because this came on and I was just like, what is it? Yeah, this it, this it, works. Yeah, this works. It I, it has never failed, man. It, I I mean, I personally only was have been with my wife since I discovered this album, but I have shown other people and it's the perfect boudoir album. Really, oh, yeah. I'd, I'd be interested, you know, from an academic perspective, you know, what, what that list actually is. <laughs> well, it... well, you know, you know how I feel about that, Morris. Funhouse. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we'll be talking about that in the next episode, Tim. Uh, just, yeah, right. All right don't, right, don't, right. Pre- no precursors, please. Thank you. No, anyway, no. yes, go on. So, no, I was just gonna say that, you know, I think. Like, uh, it's amazing, too. Like, uh, Rolling Stone, actually. Like, John, you were talking about, like, you know, how this album got rated. I think Rolling Stone said this was, like, 
like in the 400s out of the top 500 of all time. Um, it's one of my favorite albums. That's crazy. I got, you know, um, the Please, one thing it... I wanted. Sorry, not going. I one thing wanted to talk about. Oh, go go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, please. You, no. you can keep on. You go on. The one thing I wanted to, to mention before I forget about this album is um, it's kind of ironic. Like, the whole album has a real kind of, uh, you know, s film score quality to yeah, it. Yeah, right. It sounds and, like a Shaffron score. Right, for, exactly. Uh, but but the, iron, the, iron, the ironic part of it is, is that they actually did a short film. And yeah, I think uh, it was... Dead Man, Kill a Dead Man or something? Kill, Kill a, a Dead, dead Man. man. I, right, yeah, and so. I remember seeing it on one of the DVDs. Like, I remember a buddy That's of mine... That's the cover's had, from. Yeah, the Portishead DVD actually has the short film on it. But they scored the short film, and that's what actually got them the contract for this album. Yep, to Kill a Dead Man. But, right, that was what they... That, I think that's what they put out. But, it, it, you know, but it, re, it was really interesting. It almost reminded me of, like... Um, like... Uh, Second, uh, I'm trying to think of his name now. Why am I having such a brain fart right now? Seconds or uh, Frankenheimer? Uh, yeah, Frankenheimer. Reminding me, like this reminds me, like of a soundtrack to a Frankenheimer film or something like sure, that. Yeah, you know? or, or, just, or even uh, even some noir, maybe some uh, right. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, Sour Times sounds like it belongs in a in a noir film. You know, somewhere you know, late at night. Uh, a, a desk light, some hot dame walks into a uh, right. into a detective's office, and and uh, you hear that you know nobody loves me like you do, or you know, um, or glory boxes. Please let me be a woman. It, it's it's it, it's got it's got that real sort of uh, Isaac Hayes hot buttered soul feel right. about it. Um, right. I was I was going to say, uh, okay, so. Um, in a way, for me to come into this album as a whole, you know, taking away the three songs which I sort of already knew, I felt this was like a little bit of an unusual thing because I know that, you know, this is a genre which um, really, you know, lots of people had gone and taken in and absorbed and taken to their hearts. And, you know, you say Rolling Stone's top 500 albums, and here I am essentially coming into both of these albums more or less new and I'm sort of thinking you know, I mean if if a if a grown man had come to me and said oh, I've listened to a lot of rock music but um, I've just listened to Please Please Me by the Beatles for the first time I wouldn't know to think you know, that's crazy or to think okay let's be objective and let's find out what you had to say about it and I know now that if someone were to come and do that I'd show a lot more empathy rather than hit my head and saying you crazy you've lived your whole life without listening to Please Please Me or, or to right. Revolver or something like that. So it's one thing it's taught me a little bit about you know, showing showing some sort of empathy in that regard. Um, you mentioned stuff about it being uh, cinematic in style and I, I definitely want to talk more about that when we get to uh, Mezzanine. Uh, I, I think for me it that really fits more into that sort of style. That's probably a way how I sort of dealt better with that album, thinking about it in a cinematic context. Uh, but there's still definitely a lot of it, I mean, besides the songs that we've already gone and quoted. I, I guess because with with um, both of these albums, and more so on Mezzanine, uh, I think that there's, on, and certainly some of the songs on Dummy, there's less of what we call traditional song structures. I mean, the, I think there's, there's no 
uh, it was no accident that um, Mysterions and Sour Times and Glory Box would have been the singles because they've, regardless of their being scratched, uh, uh, you know, a, a DJ doing the scratches on the records, um, they're very traditional sort of song structures with just maybe updated for the 90s production and it was probably those traditional song structures that made me think oh yeah i can dig this i can identify with with that <laughs> and it's, I, I sort of I, I got i got to thinking about the analogy it's like someone who's learning a new language so you know imagine you're learning french and until you get to be fluent in a language you don't think in the language you tend to think all right hang on this phrase means that in english okay now i know what he's saying you tend to sort of translate one thing to the other and that was how i dealt with uh, a, a good chunk of the music on Dummy I was able to say right I'm listening to this okay this reminds me of you know this jazz tune or this reminds me of something that I would hear in a movie okay now try and deal with it in that context rather than listening to it of its own merits or or otherwise and sort of you know taking that for how how um, Porter's head would have meant for me or other people to hear it so uh, i guess the question i want to throw back at you guys is that somehow something how you found that you dealt with these songs or indeed any new genre for you do you sort of try to translate it to something that you're familiar with or can you take something on its own on its own merits i can take anything on its own merits i grade almost everything i listen to on a curb or watch for that matter too like uh uh, for example, I was just watching before this podcast. I was watching Ghoulies Two, not a good movie by oh, any yeah, I, I saw your post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, any stretch of any imagination, but graded on the uh, Full Moon Empire Pictures Charles Band movie, and it's a sequel to a terrible movie, Ghoulies. Ghoulies Two is actually kind of fun. Now, <laughs> so. I do the same thing with music, right? There's yep. dumb rock. There's, you know, garage rock. Right. Uh, so to answer, I take everything. If I'm in there in a new genre, listening to something for the first time, this album helped, actually helped broach that for me. I learned by listening to this album, just like you did, but maybe I was a bit younger, but it did. I, I had to learn with it. Now, one thing I should say with both these albums another reason i was like yeah after i uh, we were talking about um you listening to these albums a big part of the culture of listening to trip hop is weed <laughs> and ecstasy now i've never done the chemical part yep. but i marijuana it's just like reggae trip hop is an indelible it's 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 an indelible part of the the music same jazz i guess i mean you could appreciate all these genres genres without partaking but there's something about all that stuff and the the way it flows and is designed i don't metals used to listen drink beer to you know yep it became, at least in my experience, listening to these back in the 90s, helped me get over the hump was expanding my mind. Now, <laughs> to coming into it straight, or maybe, I don't know if wine would work too, but that's how I got over it when I was, uh, you know, a 25, 26-year-old guy living in a small one-horse town. 
I think what John was saying too is, you know, sure you can eat bread on its own, but bread with peanut butter is fantastic. You know, I mean, <laughs> well, I, I debate that. You, know, you so, uh, no, go ahead, John. No, go ahead, go ahead. I don't want to be a pro drug like on on Morris's podcast. No, I, I think I just I say understand. It's, it is part of the culture that I grew up listening to. Not grew up. Sure, I was already a sure. man, but. It was a big part of actually the process for me, um, and I, I listened to this stuff straight plenty of times. Right. Don't get me wrong, I, think, I love it, but I don't know if that was think, part of what got me in to be able to get over the hump. Mm. Well, uh, I think it was a two-tiered thing for me, like in the sense that, uh, for one, I mean, you know, buying a lot of records and, and CDs and stuff in the '90s, you know, frequented a lot of record stores. And going into record stores, you'd be going through the bins while somebody be playing something in the background, and it wasn't something that you'd automatically be focusing on. But it's you know it's within an ear range, and then you know you catch something that kind of peaks you know at, you know, and that was the best feeling to me. That's kind of hard to describe. Where you know you'd be looking for something within your wheelhouse, so to speak, or something you were you know intent on buying. And all of a sudden, something came through the speakers that just kind of, you know, tickled your eardrums, or, you know, it was just kind of like, whoa, what that? And, and you, all of a sudden, you catch yourself listening to something when, you know, it's not even something that you would usually listen to, right? It would just, you know, just kind of sneak up on you and, and, and you know, kind of crawl in your ears. But before you knew it, you're kind of bobbing your head along or something, and you know, and you're just like, what the holy shit, man, this is good, you know? And it's like, you know, and then I think the, the other level was that um, in Toronto where I used to hang out with a lot of my friends there was a wide range of people and I'm really thankful that I had such a, a mixture of, uh, of people of different tastes and, and, and you know kind of uh, from different not classes but genres I mean like I had my punk friends and then I had my metal friends and then I had my party friends and you know people I grew up with in my hometown and you know and we'd wind up going to warehouse parties in Toronto where They'd, they'd wind up having after hours booze cans and stuff and they'd be playing like a lot of trip hop and all kinds of different and that was the first time I had heard blue lines and I had heard uh, tricky and, and a lot of heavy dub reggae was you know warehouse parties and after hours things and and it was where you know you were just kind of like not even really there to listen to the music but you're there just to get your get your swerve on and you know and, and you're hanging with your friends and, and like john said you know there's a lot of green going on and uh, there's a lot of that but and you know combined with alcohol and you know everything else under the sun but i think that um you know you don't necessarily need the party favors to appreciate no i did yeah and i hope i i, I shouldn't have no no tried. no no, no. I, I hope it didn't come no, off no. come off like that like i said no, this no, isn't a pro drug thing it was a no, no, it, it was my all. experience with it and it was an essential kind of I, memory to that i mean it's not like i mean nowadays we can still say that we like might be listening to uh, late '60s psychedelia and can still and that enjoy that without right. without the aid of um... exactly. But it was right, part exactly. of the experience initially. I, it, right. uh, you don't hear the old deadheads talk about not taking the acid as part right. of enjoying what, the people dead. What, what was it? What was that joke that went around? What, what happened when the, the drugs wore the on? weed today? The, yeah, the 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 grateful. Yeah, yeah. No, Jesus yeah. band sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But I think I when the drugs were off with Portishead, the band remained vital for me. 
Well, that's uh, that's it, though. I, I think that, you know, um, expanding your consciousness, however you, you go about it, it opens a door. And I think what yeah. happens is that, you know... Right, to acceptance. And then eventually, as it wears off or whatever, you can go back and listen to it again and say, yeah, man, it, it wasn't whatever I was on. It was the music, you know? Which but was it, what but my it, experience was. Right, but it took whatever, whatever I was on to kind of get there. You know what I mean? It's like... It's funny, I, I, think had one friend, uh, I had one friend who uh, I always wanted to... He was a big uh, Metallica fan. And I yeah. always wanted to branch him out. And like, he, he loved the guitar work, but it was only Metallica. And the guy was amazingly a talented writer and guitarist, <laughs> but he would only do Metallica type songs. So I would always try to get him to listen to other metal bands or thrash bands. Like, and uh, the only way I could do it was I knew I'd have to get him like seven beers yeah. and then put it on. <laughs> and then he'd be like, and not tell him to listen to it. Just put it on on like Fear Seven, and he'd right. like perk up. It's like, who's this? This is good, and let him discover it. Right. But he would only right. discover it seven beers in, and right. I worked right. like right. six right. different times. But did he yeah. ask to listen to it again the next day? Oh yeah, no. These he became obsessed with these bands, uh-huh. too. Right, like Metallica. You're like, uh, prong. <laughs> They're great too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. I was the same way with uh, Funkadelic. I mean, I knew a lot of people who were just like, man, these guys are just ripping off the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> excuse me? I'm like, you know, uh, 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 you know. And then uh, I, had, I, had to get, I had to get some people a little a little lit. I got them a little lit and we got a little twisted. And then you know, I put on Maggot Brain and people were just looking at me and shaking their heads. And they're just like, no, man, no, like, how can it be like this? Doesn't they? They they're playing rock, right? And it's good. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, bum, 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 bum. I've never heard. Of it. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, holy shit, you know. And then after that, everybody's just like, man, like, how can I be so stupid? And I'm like, no, it's just you know, sometimes, you know, it, it's like it's like jazz. It's like you know, when you're young, you really don't really you really i'm not trying to be ageist here but i think when you're very young you really don't understand the subtleties of jazz and then it's almost like mathematics and then one day when you get the formula it's just like oh i got it it's it's interesting i was i was gonna i was gonna bring this up a little later while we're talking about mezzanine but it's interesting that you mentioned i have um, no secret to you guys, and we'll talk more about it later on. Um, we should be talking about Portishead, but, um, but with the with the Massive Attack album, which um, I found some stuff appealing about Portishead, and I'll briefly cover that in a couple of minutes. But with the Massive Attack album, which didn't appeal to me as much, and I was thinking, this, but this is album is in the top 200 Rolling Stone album, and millions of people love it. What is wrong with me? And then I got to thinking because you, you mentioned. What's wrong with everyone else? What? What? Well, a lot of people. A lot of people don't. I, I know some people who swear say, you know, jazz is shit, and they won't listen to anything, not even the iconic stuff uh, in a silent way, or, or, or um, you know, no, no Miles Davis, no, no kind of blue. No, no, I mean, the, the, the iconic stuff, the really easy entry pass stuff they say now it all sounds like a blues band has been pushed down the stairs as as um otis lee crenshaw once said uh so i thought well 
really, I guess, then it does get to be very subjective. But I was having this discussion with you the other day, Tim. And I was saying, yeah. like, even within a genre, even within a lot, you know, something like trip hop, which, okay, so you're familiar, you've opened yourself up to it, and you say, right, okay, the Portishead album is great, and, uh, you know, we'll get onto whatever your feelings are about the Massive Attack albums, but is there anything within that genre that you'd say, no, I recognise these are the tropes of what makes good trip-hop, and uh, Band X or Singer X or this album is not good, or, you know, what subjectively can you describe it, what you think um, it makes good trip-hop or not? I mean, I, I, you might say, yeah, it's all subjective, but is it a generally accepted, oh man, this album is lame because it's just treading similar paths or or they've not tried enough? See, what makes trip-hop, trip-hop, well, it goes along with the Tim's genre talk. The whole genre of trip-hop is very ephemeral and, and like it's been applied to like Bjork, Yep. Some PJ Harvey, like yeah, sneaker pimps are considered um, um, trip hop, yeah. but I consider them almost more of a electro pop band. But they have trip hop elements. Like, Wait, would you say uh, the same? It, would you say the same group like Eels? Uh, well, Eels have well, I would, yeah, I wouldn't like, say not say they have any trip hop in them, but they definitely got some electro, you know, elements. Lots of. I also had the. Uh, they're almost more of the back range. He's almost right. more than that, you know. The eccentric, then, or the Trent Reznor. I mean, nothing like Trent Reznor, but the got, you know um, the eccentric genius playing around with instruments. Yep. Are you guys familiar with Placebo? Yeah. Yep. Some Placebo has yep. some trip hop elements. Oh, yeah. Some, especially the yeah. remixes. They have some right. really killing remixes of this stuff, and I'm not a remix guy, but. No being a trip-hop fan it kind of opened that's one of the things that you know i started getting into some remixes and then starting to learn some names and producers i mean i knew producers from coming from rock but producers are much more hands-on in the electronic world right you know uh uh nina cherry you guys knew nina cherry right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. she had a, a you know a, a you know one hit wonder here over here but in uh, Brist, she was essential for the, the trip hop scene. Uh, she helped fund Massive Attack in the beginning. Right. Well, her husband had a label. Her, her, and her husband were working with the label. I think yeah. that actually got Massive Attack started. Yeah, and she paid. She paid float money to get them through uh, Blue Lines. Um, and Jeff Barrow, who uh, uh, is the right, you know, the main. Uh, man behind Porter's head mm-hmm. um, uh, he co-wrote some music on her second album one of her albums and produced it too so uh, um, she had a big it's funny she's like a, a one head rapper girl rapper wonder that people know her here in Canada and North America they know her for a song called Buffalo Stance and being yeah, one of the first yeah. female rappers but I guess in, in Europe she had a much bigger presence I mean, I think people know her brother more here now, Eagle Eye Cherry, and her dad. No one knows of Don. You know, yeah. Uh, Can we? So it just, just go on. Go no, on I, I, I was just going to say because um, uh, briefly, I think we should probably just sort of talk a little bit about a couple of the, our favourite songs from the album. We've, we've done a real, I think, a really fascinating conversation on uh, on the genre and the surrounding 
uh, mm-hmm. surrounding circumstances of the album, but sure. probably let, let's just sort of you know, focus for a few minutes before we uh, uh, go to the next album, just talking about specific things on the album that you, know, you really love or anything that uh, maybe you don't find as strong as um, the rest of the album. So, uh, John? Wandering Star. I always love Wandering Star. Um, that Hammond organ, that just pulsing, yep. that beat, uh, and then the Beth singing. Uh, I find it hypnotic. It's almost it's almost a drone of a song. Like uh, I can just I don't even have to listen to what's being sung. I can just put it on and it soothes me. Um, Roads uh, is beautiful. Uh, I just man, I can listen to Beth sing, and I lo- and I love. Um, you know the Rhodes piano and Hammond organs, and I, uh, this album made me start uh, s- scratching. I never, you know, that wasn't I, an element that was nowhere to be found in any music I listened to. Right, uh, and it's used to. I'll, good I'll, I'll just say that what, watching that um, uh, watching that uh, Roseland show. I'll say that Rhodes worked a lot better for me in a live context with the orchestra than it did on on the album. I thought it was, you know, it, it was okay as a song on the album, but uh, something we and, and also given the fact that you know the orchestra, I don't think really embellished things all that much from how they were with the album. But it was something about the tension build uh, that just really made it work a whole lot more for me. Yeah, uh, the live the live the Roseland concert yeah, 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 yeah. some great performances on there by him uh, it's a real nice summation of the two albums too the first two albums yep um, uh, so yeah uh, I love Wandering Star uh, it never got really released as a single over here but um, uh, it contains a sample from uh, uh, a war song which I had no idea okay uh, Magic Mountain right. okay no, I don't I, I'm not really that as familiar as I should be with the uh, war back catalog, so I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, me neither. The, well, the thing is, the, there's a lot more samples used on this album than I knew. They're all worked in really well. Uh, I'm not a well. I would say I'm not a big sample guy, but trip hop it comes with the territory, and the album. Uh, actually, sorry, that should have been probably mentioned before. We'll stick with dummy, or that's pretty much all I got to say. Okay, Tim, your favorite? Um, I was going to say that, you know, another another time that I really had an amazing experience with this album was uh, when I was really, really sick once, and uh, I was drinking a bunch of cold medicine, codeine, <laughs> uh, infused cold medicine. Had that warm, warm, codeine, this album. <laughs> warm codeine glow, you know, it was really nice. And I was laying under a stack of duvets, and I just had one of them six CD changers. Mm. And, and and this album comes on. And I don't know if there's a theremin on on uh, Mysterions, but the beginning of that... Yeah. Oh, that, you know, sounds, the, the, that sounds very theremin. It yeah. sounds totally like a theremin, you know? And I remember yep. laying there in theremin bed. Played by the guitarist, Adrian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Utley. Yeah, and I remember laying there laying in bed under all these blankets and, and just you know closed my eyes and I could just see snow and it was just like this woman standing in, in a field of snow in the dark singing this song you know and, and a cigarette. Uh, 
No, but I mean, like, I thought, I thought in my mind, right immediately, it hit me right there and then that you know, who whoever does the next James Bond film has to tap these people because oh. this is like uh, Mysterions is the greatest James Bond theme song yeah. that was ever written for a non-Bond film. Like, I mean, like you know, it's just perfect. And I mean, what's what's funny is like I, I saw the last Bond film where Adele did the Skyfall. Yeah, know, that, I that love stuff, that song. Sky- yeah, but I was just like, fuck that, Portishead. You know, it was uh, just like I can't. You know, take I mean, I, I, no, I, I like Adele. Like I like what she did with that song, and she's a really amazing, talented singer. But I was yeah, just kind of like, holy shit, man! They could have done this like twenty five years ago with Portishead or whatever. You know, it was just totally like, could have done it. Instead of Chris Cornell or Madonna right, right, right. or somewhere down the line, they could have taken someone away. Right, but I mean, like there was always those there was always those singers with the Bond films that were like kind of you wouldn't expect, like like McCartney, "Live and Let Die," you know, like you know, they was like so so kind of you know left the center that you wouldn't expect it. But yep. with Portishead, it was like holy, like this was meant for Bond, you know, like yeah. this whole album, like this they could have done the whole sound, like. I mean, you know how Wang Chung did the Live and Die in L.A. soundtrack? Portishead could have done a whole Bond film like that. I, I really believe it. They could have done a whole film. You know, it just They it totally just stay good. <laughs> and should. Okay. I agree. There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think Mr. Hans, and, and for me, Strangers is a song I really like, too. You know, um, Strangers is one that really kind of hits me. Um, I should say if, if, there's a really terrible terrible um, Keanu Reeves movie where he's a serial killer and uh, and um, James Spader's a detective after him you guys ever seen that uh, wait wait uh, wait a minute here. wait a minute you're telling me there's a really bad Keanu Reeves movie <laughs> well there's a scene in it where Keanu's stalking out his next victim and yeah. he's pretending to be a photographer and they start playing roads and they play the whole entire song from beginning to end in the middle of wow. this movie is a music montage of Keanu Reeves stalking a girl and flirting with her and taking pictures and at the time I thought like this is the best part of this movie <laughs> is this roads video <laughs> wow. good montage yep um, alright so just very quickly from myself I think that I should probably say that overall um, I would say that this is an album that I like uh, not necessarily love but it is something that I like I think the weak moments were maybe for me uh, tunes like Biscuit or Pedestal which I think although you know maybe Gibbon's voice sort of saves them but I think she really has saved her, her uh, best for elsewhere uh, and as I said before, it's probably not for no reason that you know, a track like "Glory Box" was, um, was you know, the, bit, the big hit single. It just it, it sounds yeah. like sex. You know, you were saying you were it saying before, you know, a great a great album to shag to, baby. Um, yeah. And, you know, when she's singing, you know, give me a reason to love you. Give me a reason to be a woman. Not to it mention just, the song I ends sweat. the climax, the very orgasmic climax right. to that yep, song. Yep. No, no, completely. Um, I love as well, I guess, because, you know, Tim, you mentioned about uh, Mysterions, and I like sort of the contrast that we have here of um, this slow building 
song, but you get this uh, militaristic beat that sort of you know, keeps finding its way through through the tune. And I sort of found myself going into um, uh, the music studio today and basically trying to emulate that. Can I do this? Can I? I came up with some bastardized version of, of it, but I'm, I'm no military drummer, that's for sure. But um, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to do that, if nothing else. Uh, but yeah, no, those... Um, I, I was going to say... One other thing I guess it, um, a song like Glory Box reminds me of is um, this great album by Millie Jackson uh, called Caught Out, which has you know the, the famous song "If Loving You Was Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right." But that was like, right. that was a concept album. In fact, they dragged it out to two albums. Really, each side of the album was like uh, told from the, the lover's perspective and the cheated wife's perspective. And Glory Box just sounds to me like the sort of song that would fit so well on um, right. on uh, either of those albums by Millie Jackson caught out and I think still caught out's the other one I was uh, gonna say too like one thing that kind of struck me like now that I wanted to say it before I forget yep. is uh did you guys do you guys get a feeling like a real chilliness in this album kind of like I felt this kind of Nico vibe going through the whole album too uh, yeah. I, no not so much Nika. I mean, I, the other, the other person, um, that I, I guess I thought was Sade, but not Nika. Yeah, uh, Sade. No, for me, it was just kind of that real chilliness, like that kind of like that, like somebody at the end of their rope. Like when you listen to a Nico album, uh, yeah, they yep. just, they just kind of feel like they're just like you know, they're spent, they're done, they're just winding down, and you know, and it's just like like a little jewel box, you know, ballerina, and you wind them up, and you just see them think, think, think. Think, 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 and they're done, you know. And I mean, that's kind of like Nico, like the whole thing with her. And I, I kind of felt that with this album. When I heard it, it was kind of like somebody at, you know, whereas it can be sexy, like John was saying, it can also be very kind of dismal and like, you know, like uh, your kind of eulogy, you know what I mean? Well, well she sounds vulnerable. I mean, I. I... I don't know that I quite sort of go to the extent that it, that she sounds like she's at the end of a rope, but I mean, a lot of these songs are songs of desperation, and, and her, she her sounds voice... wounded sometimes. Yeah, 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 completely, completely. or brittle, like right, you know, and right. she and she's bird-like to look at too. It's kind of like right. like you could touch her and she'd shatter like crystal. Right, yeah, and yeah. her well, voice that's kind of like what I'm talking about vibrating. Right, that's kind of what I'm talking it's about. Just the voices are so different. I have trouble reconciling the sure, sure, like, sure, you know, sure, one's sure. husky leather and one's right, right, you know, right, right, right. Uh, but it's that kind like, of feeling. I, I see. Yeah, but I know what you're saying though. But it's that kind of feeling for me. It's like when I hear both of them, it's kind of like this, you know, somebody that's kind of like like a beaten dog or somebody like you said, like it's vulnerable or wounded, and yeah, yeah. Well. uh that leads in great to the next album. Well, Feel before we that, before that. we get to the next album, we're going to um, go now to uh, Eric's segment, album I love. Uh, although, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is more going to be a band I love, a uh, band from Seattle called Sky Cries Mary. Uh, we'll listen to the segment, and then we'll come back to uh, talk about the second album for the show, which is Mezzanine by Massive Attack. Uh, so we'll be back in uh, a few minutes, but first... Here's Eric Reanimator. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. One, two, one, two, three, four. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Now it's time for An Album I Love with 
Eric Reanimator. coming to you with one of those this is a band I like instead of an album that I love segments mainly because I think their albums at least the ones I've heard are all equally as good but I can't qualitatively say this one's better than the other and I can't even necessarily say that about some of the songs they have some great singles and a couple of covers that I'm actually going to play the band from Seattle Washington is called Sky Cries Mary formed in the late 80s they mix several different styles, including electronica, world music, hard rock, and psychedelic rock. Let's take a listen. music tomfoolery i never had a pink floyd phase i never listened to fish i'll be happy when the grateful dead are well dead but as with monster magnet there's something about the drone and the energy of sky cries mary that that draws me in that allows me to listen without being intoxicated on some kind of substance so i'm going to go ahead and i'm going to play a bit of a couple of covers that they did just so that there are familiar songs that you can hear in their style. Starting off with one of my favorite songs by the Stooges. And yes, I am uh, playing up the Michigan mouth there. This is Sky Cries Mary with We Will Fall. I hold myself tight 
2000 Light Years from Home by the Rolling Stones. And that's another thing I like about this band is that not only can they do that really slow, trance-like, but soulful and just almost operatic version of We Will Fall, but they can turn around and do this spot-on version of the Rolling Stones that does the song justice but also puts their own stamp on it. For a long time, the only albums by Sky Cries Mary that I owned were A Return to the Inner Experience from 1993 and This Timeless Turning from 1993 as well, released on the World Domination recording label, which was a subsidiary of Capital, and was founded by Dave Allen of the band Gang of Four. However, recently I did pick up a copy of the album Moonbathing on Sleeping Leaves, which I am looking forward to digging into going to leave now with a bit of what is probably the band's best known song. This is Shipwrecked, which was featured on the soundtrack to the movie Tank Girl. This is Eric Reanimator, and I'll catch you all on the flip side. very much eric for uh, another great album i love segment i'm sorry to say that eric will not be doing a segment for the next program because he is going to be my co-presenter for the next program so i'll let him off doing an album i love uh but we'll talk more about that at the end of the show as to what albums that we're going to be covering uh that'll be very exciting because actually for all these uh shooting the shit segments that he's been on he's never actually done a show with me um so um, i'm really looking forward to that all right, anyway, here we are, uh, back on uh, episode 52 of Love That Album, and we're now going to talk about an album that, well, once again, sorry to put the label, but has been put under the trip-hop label, but as you've already gone and pointed out, gentlemen, is a very different album to the uh, one that we uh, first spoke about. This is uh, Massive Attack's Mezzanine. Now, John, as you know, I listened to this on your uh, insistence, and, Sorry, man. Yeah, well, I'll, 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 I'll tell. So my first impression, my first impression, 
was that I hated it. As, as it should have been blue lines. No, well, no, hang on, no, no. <laughs> this is good because really, I, the, the whole purpose of the show is to introduce me to stuff that gets me out of the comfort zone, and and I've got to be able to articulate. This is just very far. Like I said, blue lines would be outside of your comfort zone as well, but there'd be more of a footing for you to grasp, I think. No, but you know, this probably gives me you know a few more things to say because basically, if I, I get the impression if I listen to blue lines, I'll probably be reiterating a lot of the same things I might have thought about uh, about dummy so this gives me somewhere different to go um so the thing is okay so I've, I've come up with a few questions a few thoughts about this so when i my first thought as i said was you know this is an album that i disliked but and you gave me the opportunity to uh to go to blue lines and i said no let's stick with this so I without to, hearing so, anything from you by the way i didn't read any post or anything i was no, just no, i, I, had, I, had, listen, I was, and i was like whoa i was ne- no that's right i was never going to put up a post and i didn't want to say anything to but i wanted to be able to a to articulate my issues with it b see what it is about it that you guys that might really dig so much about it C, determine if a few more listens would change my feelings about it and D, ask if my inherent tastes uh, you know, the more rootsy sort of things predisposes me to disliking it or whether the album was for me just a poor album and my rootsy loving ways were really irrelevant so okay so I mean this album is a revered album and once again can thousands of people be wrong so right off the bat I want to say in summary that my feelings about the album now are nowhere near as negative as my first listen and I'll probably say that I found individual tunes that I like once again not love but I still don't come away from this record feeling like uh, I get it Um, uh, before I sort of like you know go talking about my individual uh, likes or dislikes about the album. Um, I was having a chat with uh, Ken Johnson, uh, who's uh, now joined uh, the LTA group, and he's going to be joining me for a, a show, uh, a couple of um, episodes down the line, which would be great and something uh, probably far more uh, love that album like. But uh, anyway, he he, um, he went and said that the whole nature of music discussion sometimes it leaves him a little bit. Uh, at odds because he said sometimes and you guys I'm sure would agree with this you need to feel the album rather than articulate it which I guess puts a lot of music journalism and and analysis out of business and maybe even this podcast Uh, but I think for all of that I think it's still important to be able to sort of say something more than just I dig this or I don't dig this Um, now I came to this album as you know without having listened to uh, Massive Attack's previous records which were you know really seemed as we've said a world away from what uh dummy uh what dummy presented with and you know this album goes into some very dark places and i've got to say that in all fairness it's not the darkness in music that i take issue with uh because you know there's a lot of music with i I guess more conventional uh song writing or or song arrangement techniques that go to dark places that i absolutely love and really i i guess for a lot of pop music dark places is what makes uh, the music that much more fascinating um i got to thinking that and we, we already spoke about this before that the music is cinematic and it's uh very i i guess what's the expression soundscaping and less about song structure in many cases um so i, I was wondering you know do i have i mean you already spoke about the drug thing earlier on john uh, taking away the drugs do, does this 
music have to be shown in the context of a film for me to be able to appreciate it. Um, I could I could have thought that the repetitive nature. I started thinking maybe it was a repetitive nature of the beats, which you know is not something that I necessarily normally identify with. And a lot of the songs had that drone and single chord structure. And then I got to thinking, well, but hell, the Stooges, we will fall, which Eric's spoken about in his segment actually. Um, that's a drone, and yeah, I love that song. So it, it couldn't necessarily be the drone thing that annoyed me. Uh, it's the repetitiveness of the structure of these songs. But then again, I'd be getting rid of half my James Brown collection if that was the case. So I'm still really trying to determine what it is that some of these songs uh, I couldn't identify with. And one thing which I think I put my finger on was by making a contrast between a song that I really did like uh, from the album, and that was the album opener, Angel. And I think, oh, what I liked about that song was the fact that it had something that I'm always looking for in a great song is dynamic, a sense of dynamic. There was a build-up. It was, you know, you were talking about sex before, and this song is like sex because you have this build-up and there's this build-up like of dark, drama. Dark sex. Very dark sex. It's sex in a yes. in a horror movie. Uh, you, you start off with this slow, very um, uh, not quiet build-up, but it's it's is bubbling you know that something sinister is about to happen like watching an episode of the sopranos you just know that something horrible is going to happen later and then boom you get hit in the face with it and that's what happens in this song you get this slow build up and then there's this big dramatic thing with the drum kit and the guitar the, the distorted guitar and then it pulls back again and it's that sense of drama i think that i really really like i mean this is essentially it's a one chord song and i think that for some of the songs on here that i didn't like it might have been well it's the same thing over overall and, and like there's that tune exchange which is you know you would have thought well maybe that's something that i would like because it's a bit more conventional a little bit more the hot buttered soul that we were talking about on the portishead album and yet i thought well but yeah there's no dynamic here and it seems like it's repeating over and over and over again um right but you're uh, look i've rambled on for a bit so really um tim we'll start with you your your thoughts on this uh, I had actually, like I was saying with with the Dummy about, you know, being in the warehouse after hour club scene and stuff like that and going to a lot of parties, that was the first time I had really heard Massive Attack, you know, and I'd heard uh, Blue Lines and Unfinished Symphony and then I'd heard, uh, you know, uh, Protection with Karma Coma and, and then I had picked this album up because... Um, it was so funny because actually uh, the first time I had heard Angel uh, I was back in Canada and all I'm going to say to John is uh, fabulous forum <laughs> yeah yeah the ballet tracks from dummy there <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, we'll kindly refer to it as the ballet so uh, <laughs> I uh I had happened to see a lady uh, kind of uh, come out on a stage and uh, dance dramatically to Angel, and I uh, I was kind of enraptured uh, by both the song and the lady. So I happened to uh, go, go over to the DJ and say, "Hey, man, what the hell is this? Oh, it's Massive Attack." I'm like, "What? It's like a new one?" Oh yeah. And so I I went out and picked it up, and um, 
the album to me um it really strikes me as kind of a, a an urban soundtrack i mean like you were you were saying earlier morris about do i really need film to appreciate this music right yep. and yep. i don't think you do but i think that it's like you know um it, it's an interesting thing to sit and listen to massive attack at home compared to having it you know plugged in your earbuds and walking down you know uh, a street in toronto at 3 a.m right. and listening to it or, or or taking a drive you know in the middle of the night with the windows rolled down and having it cranked full blast i mean like it's a real urban soundtrack the whole album and it, and it goes through the whole gamut of emotions i mean and and I think that the album itself, to me, plays, uh, it, every song is almost like a character. Because it's like, you know, you've got wounded, you've got the, you know, you've got the passerby, you've got, you know, the guy, there's a man that lives next door in my neighborhood, you know, and, and, he, and he's just kind of, you know, keeping track of what's going on. He's kind of like the fly on the wall. and. I think the whole album to me is like a real urban, gritty, dark soundtrack, you know, and it, and it, and it comes from many different perspectives. Okay, and so I what you've done there is you've gone and said that it's it's context based, um, and and I, I, there's certainly you know nothing wrong with that. No, uh, I, I don't want to invalidate that at all. I, I guess my context has been listening to you know, the album and indeed many albums that I love within the home environment or the iPod or you know the stereo or something oh. like that and you've gone and said right well this works for you late at night you know work walking through deserted streets so you provided a context which is very right. cinematic in in that regard sure but it's not film but it's the same no it's no same but, but you're but you possibly you're making that association because you've seen something in a film which would have those sorts of sounds would provide something sinister. I mean, I'm not saying the music is necessarily similar, but if you think uh, like the music that was in Drive, for instance, uh, sure. that late night deal, that electronic music that's used there, or you know, Tangerine Dream in in, um, uh, in the Driver, Thief, yeah. uh, Thief excuse right. me, yeah, in, in Thief, it's you make you make that association you know d does anything exist in a vacuum would would you necessarily think that it works that as well as a, a as you call it like an urban soundtrack if you didn't have like a a, a film or a sure. to, to associate no, sure, it does it does because i mean that's like, why i say it's know, cinematic yeah but you look at it you look at also like for example like hip-hop like nwa like you know you look at nwa and you got people listening to that at home and there's no way in hell they could ever relate to like you know living in South Central and buzz, you know and clapping people. I mean, there's no way they could relate to that. But they can listen at home and bob their heads yep. and enjoy the music, but they can't you know. Yeah. But they can't understand you know the you know they could never wrap their head around. Oh yeah, man, I know what it's like to be up for homicide. You know, sure. It's like no. Well, if the music <laughs> does its job, it transports you to that. I mean, which is cinematic. I think that Morris is. Uh, and they, you both are kind of saying the same thing. Sure. Uh, yeah. And what what I got from this album, the first time I listened, to, I remember, um, I liked Portishead, and I was looking for more stuff. Right, everywhere I was going to record stuff. I'm like, yeah, stuff that sounds like Portishead. And people are giving me stuff with female singers and stuff. And uh, a guy I worked with at the time, uh, I'll call him Chicken Boy because that's what I called him. 
he was right into the DJ culture. And uh, we're talking like Oakenfold and uh, Orb yeah. and stuff and the rave scene. And I, I said, this stuff's crap, man. And then one day he goes, my, f- I got this. What do you think of this? And he gave me a disc and I put it in. I'm like, hey, this is Massive Attack. I've been trying to find some. Uh, this time I was living in Mitchell there, uh, Tim. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. With no car. So I had to go to Stratford. Ontario wow. to get any music I wanted. And I, those the big rock in town old Stratford. Yeah, so I, I, at the time, I couldn't even... Uh, this was my first ma- exposure to Massive Attack, though I'd heard of them being... Uh, they're kind of considered uh, a brother band to Portishead because right. uh, they came from the same... You know, they both came from Bristol and uh, they're both labeled on the trip-hop and uh, Jeff Barrow worked in the studio when they performed... when Massive Attack did Blue Lines and along with Tricky, they're like the three three big things. And I knew this. But I never heard any of the music, um, so I put on this album and I'm listening to it. And the first thing I uh, I think is, man, this redefines heavy for me. At the time, like I was a, again still a big metal guy, and I was like, you know, thinking of I was getting the same feeling from this album as I got listening to some Black Sabbath or something. Like it was just this oppressive doom kind of this album, like Angel. It just it, it, it stirred something up deep within me. A, I don't know if it was cinematic per se, but uh, the layers of um, synth coming in, and then the otherworldly female singers. You know, you start going to teardrop, and you start talking. Uh, uh, what's her name uh, from the Kotu Twins? Who sings I'll talk to Elizabeth Fraser. Elizabeth Fraser. Yeah, Elizabeth yeah. Fraser, whose voice is just you know the definition of ethereal. I was, uh, was going to say that for me, this, the al- the songs on the album that tended to work the better were the ones with Elizabeth Fraser, the ones with female singers on them. The, the which ones, is, which, again, so what... Teardrop and, and I think Angel and a couple of I other... I agree, that, that was my the gateway. Ones that, that again. The male singers don't work as well for um, well, The rapping too, right? The, the hip-hop element of trip-hop oh, is really uh, a, a strong through line through massive attack as opposed to the more acid jazz and jazzy uh, porter's head you know that they took more of course they took more of those elements so it's more of a um you got something to a foothold there uh, right the this music uh, album sorry i was but gonna say this album the... go ahead john sorry go, go ahead i was gonna say this album too like i think it, it really touches on the dance reggae, uh, dance all reggae stuff with Horace Andy, where um, he's got that yeah, really yeah. Uh, deep bass voice. And, you know, it, it, it's not so much the acid jazz, but he's got that, uh, you know, why you keep me tasking, keep me tasking. You know, he's got that really yeah. bassy, bassy deep, yeah. you know, and he's a legend. He's a legendary, uh, you know, uh, dance hall reggae guy. So I mean, like you know, it goes back to like what I was saying earlier about the old and the new. They're bringing it, like bringing it together. See, and they're missing that. This is the first album. While Protection only had a couple of uh, tricky contributions, that uh, but this is the first album where it's just the duo. Well, I guess they were the main writers of the other two albums, but right. Tricky's missed uh, his unique style of vocal delivery. Uh, you would think, sorry, would be missed on this album, but they cover it up with more atmospherics and uh, 
yeah well, de- so. it was de- it was definitely um it, it was definitely a feel of uh, atmospherics there but once again i guess it's come down to you know subjectivity of um you know how you feel about those atmospherics i mean because what you went and said there before about uh th- there was this uh, very sense of um heaviness which i think was the word you, you used yeah, uh, that is exactly about, the word about, I used. about uh about the album and how that really struck a chord in you. And when I heard I think that the point of the album where I sort of started to think, Oh, this is where it's stopping to do anything for me was inertia creeps. And <laughs> that was that was where I thought, yeah, it's heavy and I found I just the word that kept going through my mind was ugly. Uh, and but some people uh, saw, in in ugliness there is beauty. But for me in this song I just thought Oh, it's 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 got menace, and the menace is done well. And I thought, all right, how would it work in a film? How would it work in a film? Maybe it'd work in that context. But just for me, listening in the lounge room or on the train or whatever, it, it didn't do it for me. And that's why maybe context is you know, plays plays for a lot. You know, people are sort of uh, listening to music in all sorts of different ways to maybe how uh, how they used to. Well, but I think John, uh, you said something. You said something earlier about you know if music is done right that's the job of music to take you to that place yeah and i think that you know like morris like you were saying you know like sitting in a certain place and listening to music and how it doesn't do it for you and i think you know i'm not saying it's wrong at all but i find sometimes that it's like you know it's either the individual or, or the music, but I mean, like, I find a lot of times, like, whenever I'd have to fly on a plane, you know, I'd do, like, a 17-hour flight between here and Toronto, yeah. so I'd, I'd have music on, and I couldn't go anywhere, and I'm I'm basically sitting in a tin can, you know, like, you know, with a bunch of people, 150 different people crammed like sardines, and I've got to listen to this music, and I'm hoping to God the music can kind of take me out of my current state, because I don't want to think about sitting there. So I, a lot of times, you know, you you put on the music and you close your eyes, and yeah, it does get cinematic. But you you kind of induce that, you know. It's it's kind of like, you know, I I was I was saying this to you earlier, like our discussion on Thursday earlier this week, where I I kind of say that I really believe that real art has um, an ability to kind of uh, take you beyond the art itself. It, it, it kind of it, it kind of takes you outside of the confines of just the craft. It, it really puts you in a different place, you know, and it inspires you to kind of feel a certain thing. You know, it induces so many different feelings, and it, and it kind of you know will put you in a different state of mind. Obviously, but I think that's really really good art that does that. You know, I mean, there's things you can just listen to and say, yeah, yeah, this it is what it is, and then there's other things where you'll listen to it and suddenly. You're thinking of a million different things aside from that music because it was the music that made you do that you know right right speaking of cinematics um it should be noted that this album uh, has a couple of examples of, of of songs being used very memorably in movies um angel was used very uh, memorably in uh go uh Doug Lemon's go uh, when uh, Timothy Oliphant is going to frisk Sarah Paz, uh, Polly to make sure she's not a, a narc. He says, show me your tits and makes her lift up her shirt and cranks the music, which is Angel. And it's right coming in with, uh, you know, the chorus. And uh, 
the, the, the camera does a spin around while he's looking at her for uh, wires. And it's very, very memorable use. And then uh, House, the yeah, TV show right. House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah with yeah, Teardrop, yeah. right? Which is right. agonizing to any massive attack fan that people, whenever they hear the start right. of Teardrop, go, House! Oh, I love House! That's <laughs> Dr. House, you know? And uh, they're like, listen to the song. It's a, it's a master word. And yeah. everyone just thinks. Ah, but there house. you go. It's it once again context based. That's context based uh, in cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, I'm pretty sure Angel has been used in lots of different. Songs. There's uh, movies besides Goat as well. It's uh, I've heard it, but um, same with I, uh, lots of songs from Dummy. Sampled a think, lot. Uh, There's a lot license licensing. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Dissolving Girl. Dissolving Girl was actually used in the the remake of The Jackal with Bruce Willis. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah, oh, that. Oh. I'm wondering whether was any of um, was any of this material used in uh, the TV show The Wire. It I mean, should. I, 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 I don't know whether it was or not, but it just it strikes me as it would have definitely fit. Right. Maybe someone doing a cover of uh, Tom Waits. Right. <laughs> Massive Attack doing uh, uh, Way Down in the Hole. It's, you yeah, know what this reminds me of too. Have you guys both seen, uh, you've seen Irreversible, a Gaspar and Oase film? Oh, yeah. I refuse. Oh, oh yeah. Well, okay. Sorry, don't want, I don't want to watch anyone violating Monica Bellucci. Uh, yeah. this, album, <laughs> this album kind of reminds I could see this album as a soundtrack Irreversible. Oh, yes. Yeah, I guess I could see that as well. Yeah, it's kind of, they got that really dark urban twist. That menace. That, 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 a menace, that, the 3, 3 a.m. on the concrete when you're pissed off your tits and you're, like, you don't know where you are and you're stumbling home and, and you're seeing all these things when by you, like, you know, domestic abuse or there's, like, you know, police picking people up or drug dealers or all this stuff. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's just... It's almost it's, oppressive. It, right, 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 right. But, it, but I think, too... That this album, you know, is a portrait. I mean, of urban British living in the '90s, according to these, you know, Daddy G and 3D and these guys. I mean, I mean, you know, I think that you know they had written these things based on maybe what they had seen, as opposed to like direct narratives. More, more of like you know, an urban score, and it's not like again, not to a movie per se, but just to kind of maybe some some of the things they had seen, you know, or, or some like, you know, kind of vignettes of, of ur urban living in England, in Bristol. Right. Holy okay. crap, Sepultura has done a cover of Angel. You gotta hear that. <laughs> even, uh, I'd, even I'd be interested to hear that. Well, it's, it's, it's Sepultura of 2003, this won't mean nothing to you, Morris, but that's post-Cavalera. Max Cavalera Sepultura, so I'm not as interested. Oh, okay. Well, it's a curiosity. <laughs> Different singer. <laughs> um, the other, the other thing that uh, my ears perked up was, um, uh, I think, yeah, Tim, you might have mentioned earlier on about the song "Man Next Door," and uh, right. the two, the two names that came to my head, uh, John Bonham and Elvis Costello. The singer sounded to me like Elvis with that uh, sort of uh, yeah, really? approach, approach to the vocals. Yeah, I could completely hear Elvis Costello covering that. Wow. Oh, oh, I'm going to give that a re-listen to. Sounds, in that it sounds like a girl from, sounds a little bit like girl from Chelsea. You know, like it's, uh, he's got that, that kind of, I know what you're talking about, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I, I guess, uh, but that's that's funny. I, never, I bet that, I've, I mean, I'm I've, a huge Costello fan. Yeah. I've contributed. I've contributed something of note to this program after all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other, the other one, uh, Black Milk. Uh, yeah. I was listening to that. The thing that came to my mind, and I was coming back to the cinematic context. I, I was sort of comparing it, it reminded me a little bit of, um, and I'm not sure, you, you probably know who did it, I don't remember who it was, but whoever did that cover version of um, uh, the Zombies song, She's Not There, towards the end of Kill Bill 2. Oh, it's... Right, uh, right, right. Uh, uh, the, the, oh. Malcolm McLaren. Oh, was that Malcolm McLaren? It was Malcolm McLaren. Jesus. Well, it, it's, anyway, I don't know, does that bring Man, I pulled that, that on my ass. ass. Uh, you're you're just but but it's you're, right. You're a, you're a I'm god. right, but that's why you run the feed my ears Facebook page because you're a god. You're a music well, god. Just Quentin Tarantino soundtrack. Like I said, <laughs> that guy could score my life. I'd be, ah, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, you, with him picking all the deep cuts of my life. You've been putting some of those um, uh, listening to nads on the page over the last couple of weeks. When you're listening, to Jackie Brown. And, oh man, that's such a great soundtrack. It's, it's I'm awesome like soundtrack. I'm so under. Like I love soul. But I mean, it's not. Um, and and again, Soul was something that came out of out of that initial listen of of Dummy. Like right. jazz came out of that. Soul came out of that. Uh, like it just it opened my uh, boundaries of music. I guess I had a narrow. I was going down a one way street, and then it expanded me. But uh, man, let me let me that, recommend to you. Um, there's a series of albums. Uh, I don't know how many volumes, maybe 10 or 11 volumes of this, maybe more, called Pulp Fusion. And it's like a lot of really deep cuts of, uh, of soul and black exploitation type music from from uh, the early 70s. A lot of acts I'd never even heard of, you know, not to mention a lot of tunes I'd never heard. But um, there's some absolute, really, really terrific uh, tunes on a lot of those. I'm, I'm, I think those albums are a little bit hard to get. I think I've seen a couple that might still be available on CD, probably be able to download from iTunes or something like that. But if you look up, there's a blog called blaxploitationpride.blogspot.com and I think they have a whole lot of information about those Pulp Fusion... Uh, Pulp Fusion Pulp Revenge Pulp. of the Ghetto Grooves, yeah, Pulp Fusion yeah, yeah. the Tough Side Volume 2, Pulp Fusion Volume 1, yeah. Pulp Fusion Anniversary Crystal Edition. Yep, yep, yeah, okay, you found it. Just They're around get, if you know where to look. Pick, pick not any, too many people. Pick any one of those. There, that, there's some really choice deep cuts. I mean, I I love the well-known stuff, but it, it, this is there's some uh, really great obscure stuff on uh, on these albums are well worth your time even you know, even just getting a couple of compilations well worth your time nice all right any uh, final thoughts on um, mezzanine i was gonna um, say that you know um, i really hope you you know you really enjoyed it like i mean you you know you seem to at least find something in there, Morris, of value or something. Well, Lord, that I, really... I don't know if you enjoyed it, but <laughs> Look, you know, as, as I said, at the, as I said at the beginning of um, this segment, I, after a, I had to give it a few lessons, and certainly my latter impressions were not the same as my first impressions. But I still think that there were songs on this that I just found uh, plodding for plodding's sake, and, and I it might say something about me that I can't put myself into that frame of mind to take them on but then again on the other hand given that there are some songs that I really did enjoy then I thought well you know I mean, 
is it is it purely my subjectivity that I say I don't like this style but when there's a song like Angel which I come out and say I really like not just oh, it's the best of a bad bunch I, I come away and I say I really like that and I really like Teardrop so what is it about the others that don't do something for me and I still don't think I put my finger completely on it but part of me would say well you know it's given the fact that there's material on both of these albums that I like uh, I can take a, a big sigh and of relief and say it's not me being stagnant. Um, Have you ever seen the video for Teardrop, Mars? Sorry, no, I, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. No, no. Make that a top priority. It I won will. every right. award when uh, okay. when it was produced, the year it was produced. Definitely watch it. All right. Sorry, go on. Just before I forgot. No, no, no. no that's, I, I, think, look, I, I think pretty much I've, I've said all I really wanted to say about that. We, uh, there's some stuff that I did like and I, I'm relieved that it's you know not just me being in the one place and me only wanting to listen to uh ray wiley hubbard albums alone and nothing else <laughs> uh, so uh, but yeah i mean look you, you guys have really gone and illuminated me on on the, the scenario about that and for all of that you know john i really want to thank you for you know pushing me on that and i'm glad that i said no we'll stick with this album when you wanted to say yeah, I'll, I'll make it easier really to go to blue line I, i'm I'm glad I stuck with this. So, you know, regardless of whether I you know, like it as an album overall or not, I think it was definitely important for me to uh, to follow up on that, be able to articulate. And, you uh, might have to be a 24-year-old Canadian guy with no driver's license, living in a small Ontario town, living in a factory, and smoking copious amounts of weed to yeah, get well, the, quite the same effect. I'm, I'm sort of on the opposite. Glad you gave it a shot. I'm sort of on the opposite <laughs> side of that. A uh, 48-year-old Melbourne man who's uh, who's not doing any of that. So, uh, so but anyway, it was. Um, I no, should state I am not a 23-year-old Canadian kid anymore. That was a long time ago. So, so let me ask you: Is there a sense of sentimentality about it for you? Oh no! I mean, I still genuinely love these albums. With no, there's no nostalgia coloring them or anything. Like I still regularly listen to them, right. and love. Actually, I listen to Mezzanine much more than I listen to Dummy these days. Okay. And it's kind of, uh, maybe because my wife listens to a lot of Portishead. She yeah. doesn't listen to a lot of this type of music, but she right. really loves Portishead. So I kind of hear it passively as yes. well. Yes. So when I put something on with the speakers or with the headphones, it tends to be. Uh, a mezzanine or a blue lines or a later porter's head album okay Tim? Um, yeah i was just gonna say that one thing that we never really got into about this album is that um what's really interesting is it's amazing that they even were able to put this thing out because uh i heard there was trouble surrounding this album there was a lot of trouble surrounding this album because i mean they like, hated the two, each other too uh the two main guys, I mean, you know, like 3D and Daddy G were really at loggerheads, even to the point yeah. where they would come in at separate times to actually record segments of the album. And then when one one of the guys would come in and he would record and they'd set the tracks down, he'd split because the other guy would come in. And the other guy would come in and say, well, I want to work on another song because I don't want to just do what he did. Oh, there so you go. then it's, it's Lennon McCartney. Nothing's changed. Right, right. <laughs> but it, but it, you know, and I think I don't know how much that attributes to the real kind of uh, schizophrenia uh, nature of the album. Right. But um, you know, but I think the album that came after this was very different from this too, mm -hmm. and it was a lot lighter, 
and it, it it was amazing. Like you know how I don't know if if the dark nature of this album was just based on their relationship, you know them themselves, but um, I don't know. I mean, I still really really dig this album, like John. You know, I mean, I've gone on you know mountain bike rides with this as a soundtrack, and you know. I just love, you know, they like just booting down a road on my bike and listening to this or, and, and, and I think the thing is too, is it, it just really takes you out of your element and, it, and it's not so much, you know, it, it's, it's not this album for me. It's not so much that it's uh, cinematic that it, 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 it kind of uh, sets a, sets this tone or sets a uh, certain images, so to speak, but it, it does take you into its own kind of bubble. You know, I, I like I like that, you know, it's almost like a snow globe. Mm. And I and I like that this album is the same way that I kind of like Hawkwind albums, that they just kind of create their own kind of, you know, little parameters and, and you just kind of get sucked into it. And for, you know, an hour or so, you're just going off on this little kind of, you know, this trip and then, you know, they drop you off again, you know, pick you up in a UFO and, you know, you, you just kind of do a couple of laps around the earth and then you, you come back, you know. <laughs> So that's what I like about this record. I think it's a very, to me, it's a very, um, like I say, they kind of create, created their own element with this record. Nice. All right. Well, uh, okay, so um, that covers both of the uh, chosen albums for uh, this episode, number 52. So um, what we'll do, um, no, I won't go to a break. I'll just sort of uh, quickly give a bit of a readout of the uh, Love That Album podcast Hall of Fame, the uh, Roll of Honor. Uh, so I, I'm always leaving someone out, I'm sure, but um, you can remind me if there's anyone who you think should be mentioned here. So uh, Paleo Cinema and Martian Driving Podcast, hosted by Terry Frost. Silver and Gold, hosted by Loaf and Zom. And I'm looking forward to the next one because, um, well, I'll, I'll say why in a couple of minutes. Uh, GGTMC, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, hosted by Samurai and Will Smith. Uh, Better in the Dark, hosted by Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. The Film Podcast, hosted by Jenny, Ricardo, Adam and Kevin. Uh, Film Rave, Justin Oberholzer, as endorsed by Sylvester Stallone. Uh, the Trashy Trio... Actually, I'll put these two together. The Trashy Trio and Double Page Spread. Now, Double Page Spread hosted by Wendy Freeman, and she's also part of the Trashy Trio hosted by uh, uh, the Oily Maniac, Jay, Josh, and Wendy herself. I've got all those episodes downloaded, but I haven't... I have yet to give them a shot. Um, well, I've, uh, oh, they're so, fun. I've, I've the Trashy Trio... I've listened to all three, man. It, well, they're, it's, they're, it's fantastic. They, I think they're trying to give silver and gold a run for their money. With uh, they're definitely on the docket, just getting her, you know, getting the time. Oh man, it, it's it's they're a lot of fun. They're really really terrific, and um, I've I've taken to uh, listening to a double page spread as well. Now, the thing is, because I'm not a I'm not a generally a big comic book reader, but um, I got to speaking to Wendy over Facebook. You know, we found you know found she's another drummer, so we're you know talking about drum drum stuff and music stuff and power pop. And she's going to be on an episode of Love That Album late in November, which uh, is very very exciting. But uh, I, I thought I'll give a couple of episodes a double page spread to listen to. And she was um, interviewing uh, I think I think his name was Steve Bissett, uh, who's gone and written a guy's gone and written a book called We Will Eat You, which is a history of uh, zombie films and 
for me, you mean, you mean you mean the cannibal, the cannibal, the, the uh, right? She spoke a lot Zumbo, of about can, films, yeah. the, the cannibal holocaust and just, but he went like a, a, a potted history of uh, of uh, cannibalism in cinema, and right. it was just absolutely. Fa- I mean, there was a heavy emphasis on uh, on Italian films, of course, because um, you know they sort of made it a bit of a specialty over uh, I, I think over the 60s and the 70s but you know it went way back beyond that you know probably I'm imagining I think they were they talking about pre Hayes Code um, yeah. but anyway it, it was a really fascinating interview and they were talking about uh, his perspective on digital versus paper comics and for me as someone who's not even a comic book reader I was absolutely sucked in and drawn in on their conversation and I thought well you know for, for me to sort of be taken in and be fascinated by their conversation uh, I thought was really the, the hallmark of a really terrific podcast and and I think Wendy's a first-class interviewer it was it was a great episode and I've listened to uh, the couple that have come out since then uh, so yeah I highly recommend uh, double page spread and trashy trios uh, with, with the, with the trashy trio so I think three episodes in and so I'll, that's one I'll definitely be listening to on a weekly basis. Should we say Silver and Gold is doing my, one of my movies tomorrow? Ah, and that's is that the one? Oh, so why I mentioned why I was excited about that because I think Wendy's going to be part of that one too. Oh, excellent! Dude. Or, or maybe or is that was that the week after? I know she's gone and made a post. I'm going to be on Silver and Gold, so I'm not sure if uh, that's your episode or not. Uh, oh, you're not doing Rose. Uh, it's not Rosemary's Baby and the Brood, is it? No, no, we're doing. They're doing Hesher, which is my pick, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Rain Wilson movie that a yep. lot of people hate. But I, oh, like, great! Uh, and the family favorite by Miki Takeshi. Yeah, yeah, is <laughs> it Q? Yeah, uh, I personally really have you seen Hesher? Either of you? No, I haven't. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Did, did you like it, Tim? Yeah, I thought it was cool. Uh, uh, I really like it, but I just want uh, to hear. I, I just thought Zom it's Zom's type of movie. Uh, I grew up with, I grew up with that dude, man. What? You, 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 oh yeah, you me too. I was too. almost that dude. You're waiting for the moment when Zom says Let me tell let me tell you something, people, about this movie. <laughs> you're waiting for that moment. Well, there's yeah. a part where Joseph Gordon-Levitt asks about Natalie Portman's grooming habits. Let's just say that's the part where I uh, want. I first time I saw the movie, I was like, "Zom's got to see this movie." I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. Look forward to that. Uh, so the other podcast worthy of your attention: sitting in a bar in Adelaide with uh, my good friend Michael Persh, and uh, I think it's getting close to his daughter's wedding. So. Uh, I, I think he's a very, very busy man at uh, this point in time, but he's still managing to put out uh, episodes of his uh, really terrific uh, podcast there. Uh, the List Music Podcast, hosted by Ricardo, Jenny and Juan. VK is no longer part of the picture, sadly, because she's uh, gone on to concentrate on her performing career and being a, uh, being a singer. Uh, I, I, she's certainly involved, I think, with uh, Eve's Apples, was her big project, which was sort of like a, a group of... Um, uh, heavy metal, female heavy metal singers from uh, around Ooh. the world, and there's a lot of collaborations, a lot of interesting stuff. So uh, look that up and uh, support. Tell her be interested. Uh, I'll, I'll send I'll send you a link. And she went. Please and do. She teased me a bit, saying, "Oh, we're, I'm thinking of bringing my band to Australia." Like, oh, come, come. And last I spoke, I said, "Oh, really? Not sure. It's a bit far." And I'm thinking, "Don't, don't fuck around. Just, just come, just come." <laughs> um, uh, all-time top ten. 
hosted by Ben Eisen. And uh, I'm looking forward, uh, in a week, I'll be uh, guesting on his show. He's doing Morbid Month, uh, presumably uh, all the way leading up to Halloween. And uh, I, I think they're, they've just uh, recorded episode number three. It hasn't been released yet, but that's going to be uh, sweet-sounding songs with, um, with uh, nasty uh, nasty lyrics or nasty themes, nasty topics. So the sort of songs that get you in hook, line, and sink, and you're singing along, and the next thing you realize, hang on, wait, did I sing that? So um, Billy and Billy by Alice Cooper. Anything by Alice Cooper, really. Uh, well, yeah, Billy and Billy. Every, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that's more stalkerish. They're gonna. That, I mean, that, that's got a minor. That's a minor chord. That doesn't sound like a sweet song, really. Uh, well, but, Billy, you know, Billy sounds like a loving duet, and then you find out they're <laughs> they've chopped up the guy's the woman's husband. Well, but that's but, you know that's that's really quite normal for a love song, isn't it? I don't know. Um, I don't <laughs> yeah. know if that qualifies. Um, but uh, well, I'll keep hold that thought about Alice Cooper. We'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, Soda Jerker on songwriting, hosted by Simon and Brian. Really, another first class podcast i think they've just interviewed ron sexsmith who i confess is not a songwriter i particularly care for but um simon and brian always managed to bring Still out the a, best it's a it's a get you know that's a big one. Oh, they they've gotten a lot of big people uh richard sherman uh who wrote all the songs for uh, wrote a lot of songs for uh, the disney films um andy partridge of xtc and uh, wow. uh, uh bernard stickwell if you're listening to this podcast um, uh, how are you going along with uh, Andy Partridge? I won't go any further. Um, uh, Inside Outcast with Evil Dave and Dr. Brandy's sexy voice. Um, and a podcast which I haven't heard yet because they haven't recorded an episode yet, but uh, I'm looking very interested. I'm, I'm sounding very interested in this one. Um, John Ross, can you tell me about the uh, Feed My Ears podcast? Is there anything in the wind about that? Well, we're in preliminary talks. Let's put it that way. So your lawyers are talking to their lawyers. <laughs> we're hoping to have something out in the new year. We right. shall see how things go. And if people can put up with this nasal twang. So what's what's going to be the format? You're, who are your co-hosts? Um, we're talking, uh, oh, I forget what he wants to be called. Uh, oh. Jeff Rocks and, uh, well, what? Nate Dog? No, that wasn't it. You had a code name. I will just say Nathan uh, and Jeff Rocks and me from the group. Um, we're going to hopefully get this podcast going. Mm -hmm. We're going to follow kind of the GGTMC Sylvan Gold kind of format, but transposed to music. So nice. we're going to talk about what we're uh, listening to this week. Yep. And then uh, maybe pick a few albums every week to talk in more detail and have guests from the group. Hopefully you two at some uh, point would I, be on there. I'd be offended if you didn't ask. I'm a, oh, my, my wife says I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a podcast slut. And uh, <laughs> she, she's right. So, yeah. yeah and Timmy, yeah, you're going to have to make it on there too, man. Yeah, I can do that. <sighs> All right. Well, there won't be anything probably to the new year. Got to, you know, buy some equipment. Work out some logistics, but we're working on it. Definitely looking forward to that one. This is the 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 first announcement. Hooray! And I'm I'm very privileged to have. Uh, had, I mean, you've you've announced it here before. You've even announced it on the group. I think. 
Yeah. So there you go. You, you, you heard it here first, folks. Although, mind you, it's another two weeks before I drop this, so you might announce it on the group before. Releases, <laughs> I don't know. I said to get, I said to get Morris off my back. <laughs> I did keep saying to you, come on, do a podcast, man. Do a podcast. It's a good fun. All right. So I should also make mention of what we're going to be doing on Love That Album episode fifty-three. Um, he's been long time part of the show, and yet. This is going to be Eric's first episode as a presenter talking about a couple of albums specifically. So really looking forward to that. And Eric insisted, not ask, can we do? He said, nope, we're going to do Raw Power by Iggy and the Stooges. <laughs> not not the first two Stooges albums. And this is, this is another thing because I love, absolutely love the first two uh, Stooges albums. But Raw Power was one that had escaped uh, my attention. So he said, no, that's, oh. a one, that's the one that we got to do. So uh, we, I've been uh, drowning myself in uh, raw power the last few weeks and we're going to be talking about that. <laughs> and he said to me, um, do you want me to come up with a second album? I thought, no, no, I'll come up with a second album. So I've suggested a very different album, obviously in a lot of ways, and yet I think it's a good pairing, uh, Killer by Alice Cooper. Oh, yes. So um, I'm, I'm, I think it'll be, uh, we'll have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about uh, over the, the course of those two albums, songwriting, production, uh, shock Man, rock. you're hitting all my sweet spots lately. Oh, we live to please. We we're just going to get some tool on your podcast. Look, don't, don't, be, uh... don't go pushing the friendship, all right? Um, <laughs> uh, but um, we got... Uh, basically, I'm, I'm rather pleased. I, I think I've got myself um, all worked out through to the end of the year. And actually come to think of it i've probably got too many episodes before the end of the i, I think we'll probably i've got enough to go into uh january february but i've got um uh without going into the albums will be uh, episode uh actually sorry what did i say this one was um no so yeah that's gonna be 53 53 so i've gone and written this down incorrectly but anyway so the one after that uh i'm not going to go into the albums but we're gonna um finally getting uh bernard stickwell uh, to uh, come on the program. He's finally found a computer that's uh, not dial-up uh, internet, so that'll be good. Um, uh, the one after Bernie. that will be... Will be get, uh, sticky. Um, will isn't be get, he a Spaniard? Sorry? Isn't, isn't he a Spaniard? A Spaniard? You're, you're throwing yeah, a Spaniard like, into the works there, aren't you? It, it's a silver and gold joke. Oh, so I didn't... Yeah, very good. <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't get that one. Gosh. Oh, okay. How about that? Uh, I, I believe Jason Statham might be making an appearance on that episode, but we'll find out. <laughs> um, uh, then we'll be uh, having um, uh, Wendy coming on the show. Uh, lots and lots and lots of good stuff. And uh, uh, then probably by the time we've done... I still have another couple of uh, planned episodes, but I think by the time that we finish with Wendy, there'll probably be only time for um, an end-of-year roundup of shooting the shit favourite albums of the year. So uh, we've got a lot of good stuff coming up. Really, really looking forward to uh, presenting that all to you. And, and uh, please send feedback. I like feedback. Kitchen at yahoo.com.au for emails. Join the Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album anything you want you want to talk about favorite groups want to tell me that the show's boring whatever just as long as you're listening and you're sending feedback i'm, I'm good with it it's 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 cool uh and basically uh, i think that pretty much is it uh let your friends out there know that the show exists I'd like to get a few more listeners we're, we're up to 94 members on the group uh so i'd like to maybe get up to 100 before the end of the year that'd be nice but you know i'm not going to push 
I think is is that it? I think that's it. All right. Uh, any final thoughts, gentlemen? Podcasts that you want to mention? Websites you want to plug? Anything? Um, just thanks for um, putting it out on the limb there, Morris. And uh, oh man, no problem. Yeah, it's uh, always good to you know talk to someone about something they've never experienced before, or you know. Mm. No, no, that's no, that, that would definitely push me down that road. But no, I, I was uh, I was really really happy to do that. Thanks so much for pushing me down that limb, uh, Tim. Anything from uh, from your end that you want to uh, make mention of? No, I just wanted to say you know it's always a pleasure coming on here and uh, talking with like minds and you know just being able just to have the opportunity and to share with you every uh, every time I'm on here. Thank you very much. Well, my absolute pleasure. You guys are uh, welcome back anytime. All right, uh, and uh, I think that pretty much uh, is the end of the program. So uh, thanks very much once again for listening, and we'll be back in uh, about three weeks' time with Eric Reanimator talking Iggy and the Stooges and Alice Cooper. Tell your friends. All right, we'll be back soon. Thanks very much. Cheers, guys. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.